Surprise! Three, two, one. Oh my goodness! Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Sunday, April 28th. And uh, if you ask me, this is the biggest weekend of the entire year. Of all of 2019 so far, this is the biggest weekend of the year. Uh, we have the NFL Draft. We have Avengers Endgame, which I've now seen twice. And um, tonight we have a massive episode of Game of Thrones. Probably everybody I love is going to die. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. Look, I, keeping this episode secret was really, really difficult for me. I love to share with everyone, like, here's my plan. Here's what I'm doing. And I wanted to keep this a secret because I like to... I like the idea that I set the expectations really, really low, and then I get to exceed them and really surprise people with this. Um, let me be very, very clear. I'm still on a break from Strong Opinion Sports. I'm in the middle of uh, spring football, um, so I'm considering this like a, a special episode. I have practice tomorrow. Literally, we have two weeks left of spring football, and uh, you know, if you don't know, I play quarterback in college, and uh, I got to say, too, if you don't know, football is going incredibly, incredibly well. I've never been happier in my life, um, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to play football again. It's really, really awesome and really, really special. Um, I love my teammates. I love my school. I love practicing. I mean, I, I'm just happy to be out there. And I look around sometimes and like, you know, after four years off, um, to be back, man, to be back is just special. It's just so cool. Um, I will say the very next episode, after this episode, the next episode of Strong Opinion Sports will come out on Tuesday, May 14th. That is my Next target date, uh, we've got to take a break. we got two more weeks of spring ball, but I cannot wait to do that. Um, and real quick, I, I want to pat myself on the back. I really, um, you know, before the NFL draft, leading up to the NFL draft, I said a lot of things. I made a lot of statements, a lot of predictions, and I work really, really hard. I do a ton of research uh, and, and try to put a lot of thought into things I say. And um, as the NFL draft unfolded, I could not believe how many things went exactly like I said they would. It was kind of, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I kept track. So on March 13th, I said that Kyler Murray should go number one overall. I said he's the best quarterback in the draft. And I was one of the very first people in the world to say Kyler Murray was the best quarterback in the draft. I championed that. Um, I'm very proud of that. And hey, like a lot of people, I know as the narrative went on, people finally started to agree with me. But man, early on, I get called an idiot many times. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, and then on March 6th, actually, I said that the Cardinals should trade away Josh Rosen. I was also called an idiot for that opinion. I got it right. I told you guys that's what happened. He got traded to the Dolphins. Um, it was awesome. I, I'm keeping track here because I, I really was fascinated. Um, I want to, there were eight things, there were seven things I got really, really right. And one thing I got really, really wrong. The other thing I got right was everybody fell in love with DK Metcalf. They fell in love with his measurables. At the combine, people were like, oh, he's so tall, he's so fast, this, that. And uh, on March 6th, I told everybody he's overrated. A lot of people did not like my underbaked cookie analogy. Fine, you can hate the analogy. I still believe I was spot on. He's not fully developed. He's not ready. And he dropped all the way down to the last pick of the second round. Hello. I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I think the Seahawks are a great spot for him to develop. I'm rooting for him. But I, I did tell you guys, DK Metcalf, a, a good receiver with a lot of potential, but an underdeveloped, not finished product. 
on April 2nd, I made a video uh, at Drew Locke Breakdown. I was down on Drew Locke. You know, I, uh, I, I said Drew Locke had a lot of issues. I liked him. I think he has potential, but I said he's not a first. He, he may not be a first-round quarterback, uh, be, and he needs to sit for a while to really get ready. And that's exactly what happened. He got drafted in the second round by the Broncos, 42nd overall. Um, that's awesome. I also said that the Broncos might not pick a quarterback. That was on April 12th. So they might not pick a quarterback in the first round. They might get a draft pick to build around Joe Flacco. Hey, that's exactly what happened. They drafted Noah Fant, the tight end from Iowa. Man, that's four things so far. Nailed them. Uh, Number five, Will Greer. On March 23rd, I said that Will Greer, everybody kept telling me Will Greer was this gigantic sleeper in the NFL draft. Um, And and I said the NFL didn't love him, and I, I was right. I'm sorry. I don't... I, you know, when I had the idea for this topic, I, it would sounded a lot less condescending than it feels like it's coming across right now. Um, but in the end, Will Greer went 100th overall in the third round, and he is now Cam Newton's backup quarterback. That's where he went. He was drafted to be a backup. And I think it's a good spot for him. It gives him time to develop and become a better quarterback. But all the people that were telling me he's a, he's a second-round quarterback, he's going to get drafted, become a starter immediately— that's not how the NFL viewed him, and that's how things worked out. Um, now, if Cam Newton never gets hurt, I really hope and I really believe Will Greer is going to be ready for that opportunity. But again, the NFL viewed Will Greer as a backup quarterback. On April 10th, I said that Jarrett Stidham out of Auburn makes really good decisions, um, but he needed to sit and learn behind a really good quarterback. And in fact, he gets to sit and learn behind the best quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, the quarterback of the Patriots. They drafted him in the fourth round. Uh, uh, we'll get to it later. It's a, it's a great pick. I love it. On April 3rd, um, I said that my top five quarterbacks in the NFL draft were Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Lock, uh, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, and Will Greer. And they were the first five quarterbacks picked in the NFL draft. Uh, my only slight miss was I said that I ranked Dwayne Haskins ahead of Daniel Jones. I think it was a surprise to everybody that Daniel Jones went ahead of Dwayne Haskins. Uh, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, th- those are things I nailed, right? I was really proud of that. I also made a video on March 28th about Gardner Minshew. Um, the Jaguars drafted him in the sixth round to be Nick Foles' new backup quarterback. I love it. I really like that. The one major thing I got wrong, the one major thing I got wrong about the 2019 NFL draft was I said that the Giants would not pick a quarterback number six overall and... Uh, they did. They did do that. Um, and so let's talk about that. So um, with the sixth overall pick in the 2019 NFL draft, the Giants drafted Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. And uh, what follows has been like mass hysteria. It's been in really, really fascinating. You know, the one thing I learned this weekend is that if I ever do local sports radio, my dream, I would... I, <laughs> I would have a blast doing local radio in New York. It'd be fun. I mean, that, that fan base is wild, angry, and awesome. I mean, they are just a really, really blast of a, a group. Um, in fact, I, I want you to, if people, because I know, I, people count this. Um, if you want to have fun with this topic, you can count how many times I'm about to say Daniel Jones. It's a thing I do. I don't mean to, but I like to be very clear. Um, <laughs> here's what's really, really weird to me. Everybody said the Giants needed to draft a quarterback. Everybody said the Giants 
must draft a quarterback. And then the Giants did draft a quarterback, and everybody hates the quarterback they drafted. It's very silly to me. People still got mad at them, basically, no matter what they were going to do. Um, I like this pick. I really like the Giants drafting Daniel Jones, sixth overall. Um, he's a good quarterback. Watch my film analysis video of him. It's a long video. I break down everything he does. Um, he makes great decisions. He's accurate. Um, I mean, I don't know what else he needed. Like, hello, he's a good quarterback. He can play. I, I don't know why people are so hard on him. Now, um, people are mad for two reasons. There are two reasons why Giants fans are really mad about the Giants drafting Daniel Jones. The first thing is the fact that they drafted him sixth overall. Everyone's like, ah, they drafted him too early. And they're also mad that the Giants drafted Daniel Jones instead of Dwayne Haskins, uh, the kid from Ohio State. (sighs) Okay, um, I'll be honest. Look, I I didn't expect them to draft Daniel Jones sixth overall. I thought they were going to pick him 17th overall rather than sixth. Um, but, but I want you to think about this. I, I really think this is important. If you love a quarterback, you cannot wait. You can't wait on a guy hoping they'll be around later in the draft. That is not how it works, and that is not a good philosophy behind the draft. If you love a quarterback, you got to pick him now. Think about it. Between the sixth overall pick and the 17th overall pick, Denver picked a quarterback. Denver had a draft pick. Miami had a draft pick. The Redskins had a draft pick. The Bengals had a draft pick. A bunch of quarterback-needy teams or teams that were rumored to be drafting a quarterback. And by the way, all four of those teams did end up picking a quarterback. The only difference was Miami traded for Josh Rosen. The point is this. They were all rumored to maybe be drafting a quarterback. And you cannot risk another team taking away your franchise quarterback. You can't. I'm sorry. I mean, if you're willing to make that bet, good for you. I'm just not willing to. If I love a quarterback... I am going to pull the trigger. I'm going to draft him. I'm not going to wait. I'm not willing to take that risk. And a lot of people are very mad. Like the difference between the sixth pick and the 17th pick for a franchise quarterback, pull the trigger. If that's what you believe he is. I don't know. I mean, have you ever liked a girl? I I liked a girl before and and not asked her out. I thought about it like, oh, I should ask the girl to hang out. And you wait too long and another guy asks her to hang out. She starts dating another guy and you missed out because you waited too long. You didn't pull the trigger. With a franchise quarterback with millions of dollars on the line, I am not taking that risk. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, Daniel Jones is a bad quarterback. He's not worthy of the sixth pick. If he's worthy of the 17th pick, he's definitely worthy of the sixth pick. He's a franchise quarterback, in my opinion. I like the pick. And don't forget, human interaction matters. This is not Madden we're talking about. They picked a guy. You know, I believe they might have been able to get him in the 17th overall. Like, I think it's very possible they could have got him there. But man, if you like a guy, if you, if you believe in him, if you connect with him, pull the trigger. I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I, I, I respect the Giants drafting the guy that they believe in. I do. I mean, they clearly like Daniel Jones. They had good relationships with him in meetings. That's who they drafted. And I respect that. I know that's weird. I know, again, people hate that, but I respect what they did. Now, um... People are also saying the Giants could have had Dwayne Haskins. And it's so weird to me. We act like, you know, people make a ranking. They rank Dwayne Haskins, the second quarterback, Daniel Jones, the third quarterback. And then people act like their opinion is an objective fact. And and the truth is people are just splitting hairs. There's no, like, clear, obvious answer here. Not to me. Um, I did a deep film analysis of both guys. I watched a lot of their film. I watched all the, every play they played. 
Um, and both Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins made really good decisions last year. But here's what's lost on people. Here's what's very important. Daniel Jones played on a horrific Duke roster. He had awful, awful players all around him. And Daniel Jones still found a way to win football games. Now at Ohio State, <laughs> Dwayne Haskins had NFL players all around him. In fact, nine Ohio State football players were drafted in the 2019 NFL draft. Two of them were Dwayne Haskins wide receivers. Two of them were some of his offensive linemen. And one was his running back. The point is Dwayne Haskins had NFL talent all around him. In contrast, Duke University only had three players total invited to the NFL combine, let alone drafted. Daniel Jones was one of those three, by the way. I don't know. I mean, look, yes, Dwayne Haskins put up fantastic numbers. That's great. That's awesome. But he also had a ton of help. And my point is this. If Daniel Jones had played on Ohio State's roster, his numbers would have been far better. Stop worrying about the numbers. It's very interesting to me. Yes, of course. And, and by the way, if he'd played at Ohio State, yeah, he would have dominated. And, and again, by the way, if Dwayne Haskins had played for Duke, he would not have been the same quarterback and would not have had the same great numbers. Here's what really kills me, though. This is what's very bizarre to me. Um, a lot of people keep saying, well, watch their highlights. When you watch their highlights, Dwayne Haskins has way more throws downfield. Yeah, and the reason why that's flawed is because in order for a highlight to count, it's got to be a completed pass. Watch the plays that Daniel Jones did not complete over and over and over again. Daniel Jones hit guys in stride, and they dropped passes. It's awful. Daniel Jones' highlights are not an accurate representation of the way he plays quarterback. you got to watch all the film, the good plays and the bad plays. Touchdowns were dropped over and over again when you watch Daniel Jones' film. Yes, of course, Dwayne Haskins' highlights, again, are better. He had better players around him, and his receivers actually caught the dang ball when he threw the ball downfield. I don't know. You can't just watch highlights. you got to watch film. you got to do a lot more research. And people on the surface level saying, well, yeah, Dwayne Haskins' highlights are way better. Simply haven't done the research necessary to make a great determination between Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins. Now, there's a video on YouTube, um, and full disclosure, I didn't watch the video. I actually hate ESPN First Take. Um, I think they are really good performers that make great arguments um, that are highly flawed and, and just based on emotion. Uh, but Max Kellerman, there's a video titled, Max Kellerman Says Daniel Jones Better Be a Hall of Famer One Day. That's the title of the video. The title of the video is Max Kellerman Says Daniel Jones Better Be a Hall of Famer One Day. Again, I didn't watch the video um, but the point is this, the headlines we're seeing about Daniel Jones are awful. Oh, my goodness. It's like, ugh, I don't know. And then Giants fans are making really terrible comments about Daniel Jones. And, and, and one part I feel really bad for Daniel Jones. I get it. Like, Daniel Jones, I feel for the guy. But on the other hand, that's New York. And if you're going to be the New York Giants quarterback, you got to be able to handle that. And I think he can, but we're going to find out. You know, what we're going to learn about Daniel Jones in the next couple of years is what is Daniel Jones made of? But I, I think the truth is, I mean, look, it's, the NFL is a business. Um, we're going to learn what he's made of. But I really think that if New York Giants fans want their sixth overall quarterback to succeed, the best thing you can do is support the guy. I know that's weird. I know, oh, God forbid we support the player. You can be mad at Dave Gettleman all you want. 
but he's the quarterback they drafted, and that's not going to change. So I think the best thing, if you want Daniel Jones to succeed and you're a Giants fan, I'm not, but I, I really, I play quarterback in college. I understand the mindset. The best thing you could do is support the dang guy. Now, um, oddly enough, I, I really think, you know, my final thought is this. Between Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones, I think I would rather be Daniel Jones right now. Think about Daniel Jones' positioning. He's in New York. The Giants have Eli Manning. So there's no pressure for him to play anytime soon. It may, eventually, yes, right? They drafted him to become the next Giants quarterback. But right now, Eli Manning's the quarterback. So they can take their time, and Daniel Jones can sit and learn how to play quarterback at the NFL level. And what's even more interesting and very odd, actually, and very un, you know very rare, is Daniel Jones and Eli Manning have a relationship. They've worked together before in off-seasons. They have the same quarterback coach. They've been friendly with each other, which means they're more likely to get along. That's really healthy. That's really good. I think Daniel Jones is in a situation where years from now, he could be successful because he's got the pieces around him. He's got time. He's got a good relationship and a quarterback he can learn from. And I think Pat Shermer is a really good offensive-minded head coach. All the things and the, the recipe you need for Daniel Jones to develop and become a good quarterback are there. Now think about the position of Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback with the Redskins. So they have Case Keenum, which means that Case Keenum is, let's be honest, Case Keenum and Eli Manning are not comparable quarterbacks. They're, they're both on their way out for sure, but one is because of age and one has won two Super Bowls. Case Keenum is just a, a marginal quarterback that's not very good. So it's very likely that Dwayne Haskins is going to play far before he's ready to touch the field. And expectations are through the roof. Expectations are way up here, and they're going to put Dwayne Haskins in before he's ready. So today, right now, I think I would rather be Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the Giants. I like, I don't know. I I like the pick. I know Giants fans are angry. I understand I like the draft pick. I think he's a good quarterback. Um, I, I don't know. I think they drafted their quarterback of the future. They also, you know, they, they did a good job drafting in general. They drafted Dexter Lawrence in the first round. They drafted the defensive tackle from Clemson. Then they went back in the first round and drafted uh, a corner from Georgia, DeAndre Baker. People are super mad at the Giants. And look, I'm not a Giants fan, but I think the Giants, especially in the first round, did a lot of really good stuff. In the 2019 NFL Draft. I like the pick. I like the Giants drafting Daniel Jones. I know. That's horrible. It's infuriating. Um, Say whatever you want. I watched every play the guy played last year. I think he's a good quarterback who makes good decisions. And he's being put in a position where two or three years from now, he can be the franchise quarterback. And he can eventually succeed. All right. Um... (laughs) It's, it's just crazy, man, how, how angry people are about that. They're like, oh, it's the worst pick ever. Ah, da, da, da. Relax, guys. It's not always some big, horrible tragedy. I Look, I know that's how New York works. I actually kind of am fond of the way people in New York overreact to everything. But Jesus, man, like, he's a good quarterback. They were going to pick him 17th. What's wrong with 6th? I, I just, I like the pick. I really think it was a good pick. I think people are very much overreacting to the Daniel Jones uh, move. Now, um, the Arizona Cardinals drafted quarterback Kyler Murray number one overall. And what that meant is that the Cardinals quarterback from last season, Josh Rosen, is now out of a job, right? He he was out of a job. He was not going to be the Cardinals quarterback next year. 
and uh, he got traded to Miami. Josh Rosen got traded away to Miami. So right now, I want you to put yourself into Josh Rosen's position. How do you, if you were Josh Rosen, how would you feel? These are the things that happened to Josh Rosen in the last year and a half. So last year in the NFL draft, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Allen were all drafted ahead of him, which means that quarterback needy teams did not take Josh Rosen. Quarterback needy teams said, we don't want you. The Jets didn't want him. The Bills didn't want him. The Giants didn't want him. The Browns didn't want him. And the Denver Broncos had a chance to get him, and they didn't draft him. So then he ended up with the Arizona Cardinals, where he had one of the worst offensive lines in all of football. He had an offensive coordinator who was fired after week seven. And despite all of that, despite being put in a really bad situation with a bad offensive line, with bad offensive coaching, he still gave it his all every single week and did the very best he could. If you're Josh Rosen, you go, dude, I fought tooth and nail to the best I could. And despite that bad situation, in the end, Josh Rosen had statistics that were comparable to Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback. We'll talk about stats in a minute. So Sam Darnold had 57%, had a 57% completion percentage, 2,865 yards, 70 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. That's where Sam Darnold was. Sam Darnold is the best of the three. Next, you have Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen had a 55% completion percentage, 2,278 yards, 11 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. And then below him was Josh Allen, who had a 52% completion percentage, 2,074 yards, 10 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. My point is this. For some reason, the narrative has gone really, really far away, saying Josh Rosen is some kind of bust of a quarterback. Um, his numbers are basically identical. If not identical, they're very, very similar to Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. Yet, for whatever reason, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen are considered successes, and Josh Rosen is being considered a failure. If I'm Josh Rosen right now, I go, look at my body of work. Look at the stats I put up. Look at what I was given to work with. I would be really, really frustrated. Not to mention, then his head coach got fired. Then Josh Rosen had Steve Wilkes, the head coach of the Cardinals, got fired. And that, that was, I'm sure, weird at first. But then, oh, so you, had, you have a bad offensive line. You had a bunch of teams passed on you. You had your offensive coordinator fired. Then you had your head coach fired. But then like a, a shining light from the heavens comes down. And you find out, oh my goodness, my new head coach is going to be Cliff Kingsbury. If I'm, if I'm Josh Rosen at that point, I go, yes, I'm so excited because Cliff Kingsbury is a great offensive mind and he's really exactly what you need. If you're Josh Rosen, you go, yes, I'm so excited. I've never had this good of an offensive coach before. I cannot wait to work with him. And then he says, guess what? I'm Cliff Kingsbury. Josh, I don't want to work with you. I'm good. That, that would hurt, man. Despite the fact you were the 10th overall pick. Despite the fact that your stats are fine. Despite the fact that you fought tooth and nail. They don't want you. I mean, that would be really, really brutal. So Josh Rosen was traded away to the Miami Dolphins. And for the record, I think that the Cardinals did the right thing. I would have committed to Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray is a special talent. If he's available, you got to pick him. Um, so I really, again, it's, there can be a world that happens where the Cardinals did the right thing moving on from Josh Rosen and we can still have empathy for Josh Rosen and think he's not a terrible quarterback. I don't think he is a terrible quarterback. In fact, I can imagine if I'm Josh Rosen right now, oh dude, it would hurt. It'd be like, oh, it's like a breakup. I'd be pissed off. And yet that's not the message that 
Josh Rosen has put out to the media and put out to the world. Um, Josh Rosen put a video on Instagram. It's really, really good. I recommend you watch it. Um, like really like pause the podcast, go find it. It's really a fantastic, fantastic, or, or look, watch it later. I, you don't need to watch it right now. Um, but it's one of the most classy things I've ever seen an athlete do. I really, really, um, I just, he's my age. I applaud him. That's really mature. I think to do, um, he thanked Arizona. He wished Kyler Murray good luck next year. And then said he was excited for a next chapter of his life in Miami. I thought that was really, really cool. I love it. Um, and also, here's some insider baseball um, on recording a message like that. Look, I, I talk for a living. It's what I do. Um, making a video like that is not easy. Making a video where you're delivering a, delivering a genuine message um, takes a lot of effort. It's really, it's really hard to do that. And so many athletes, you see this all over the world. They read scripts on social media, on Twitter or on Instagram, whatever. You see guys, athletes like reading a script, and it's very boring. And it's not interesting, and there's no inflection, and it goes on too long. I've seen Dak Prescott do it. I've seen all kinds of. In fact, I think a great example is Daniel Jones' family actually was reading him a letter. Uh, it's like people that don't read scripts often are bad at reading scripts. And Josh Rosen, I think, must have memorized this because he was flawless, and he delivered a really concise, heartfelt, genuine message. And I was really just in awe and very much. Uh, I wanted to applaud Josh Rosen for what he did. And that's not the only thing that Josh Rosen did this weekend. He also played in, a, in the Larry Fitzgerald uh, softball charity game, which is really cool, just a classy move to do that before leaving. I mean, how cool is that? Um, and, and I just all around have loved the way that Josh Rosen handled this whole situation. Like, it's like a breakup with a girl, and he took it like a champ, handled it in an entirely professional way. And I, I just gained personally a lot of respect for Josh Rosen. I really, really... Um, admire and, and respect how he's handled this entire situation. Now, I, I really believe the Dolphins are getting a very, very solid quarterback. Um, in fact, I think he's going to be eventually be their franchise quarterback. He's going to develop into a really great quarterback. Um, I did an entire giant film breakdown of him. It's actually how my channel blew up. And um, he made a lot of rookie mistakes last year, but he was also, let's be honest, he was a rookie quarterback. It's okay. If you're a rookie quarterback, your grand did a couple rookie mistakes and he was learning. And all of the mistakes that Josh Rosen made last year were very much fixable mistakes. Get him better coaching, get him better. Um, really, that's the, the point is coaching. If you coach him up, he's going to be a better quarterback. Um, so I really believe if you're a Dolphins fan, you should be thrilled right now. I mean, the, the fact that somehow, um, I think about this right now, the two best quarterbacks available in the 2019 NFL draft, in my opinion, were Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen. I would rather have Josh Rosen than Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke or Daniel Jones. I think, I think Josh Rosen is, it's Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen, than everybody else. And the price that the Miami Dolphins got Josh Rosen for is unbelievable. They traded Josh Rosen, they traded for Josh Rosen and gave up a second round pick and a 2025th round pick. That's crazy. I mean, the Redskins had to give up a first-round pick to get Dwayne Haskins, and the Giants gave up the sixth pick. Get Daniel Jones, I think, two inferior quarterbacks to Josh Rosen. I know I'm saying that name a lot. I don't care. It's who I am. It's what I do. Um, I, I just think that's a steal. If you're a Dolphins fan, you're elated. You're so happy right now. Oh, my gosh. We got a franchise quarterback for that? It's, how does that happen? It doesn't happen. It's, it's really unbelievable. And a lot of people are going to comment this. They're going to say, well, if Josh Rosen was so good, then why would the Cardinals trade him away? It's obvious. I mean, look, I think Kyler Murray 
is a very, very special quarterback. I mean, his tape is unbelievable. Kyler Murray's ability to go through reads and get to his fourth and fifth read, and then not to mention his ability to run, his mechanics, he's got the best arm, I think, in the draft. Um, in my video breakdown of Kyler Murray, I said he was a generational talent. I meant it. I think he's really, really, truly a special quarterback. I stand by everything I said, and not to mention the fact that the Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, was trying to work with Kyler for years. He recruited him in high school, didn't work out, then tried to recruit him and left Texas A&M, still didn't work out. Finally, Cliff Kingsbury says, I'm going to work with you. We're going to play together. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I don't think the Cardinals trading away Josh Rosen necessarily means that he sucks, right? It's more a, a statement about how good Kyler Murray is. The fact that Kyler Murray was so good that the Cardinals parted ways with their 10th overall pick quarterback, Josh Rosen. That's what that means. Um, so I, I really believe that the Dolphins got a very, very incredibly special quarterback, basically for free. And you'll never see. I mean, if, if Josh Rosen has any kind of great career, we, we should always remember that they traded the low price of a second round pick to get him. I mean, that's it's unbelievable. That doesn't happen. That does not happen where you get a franchise quarterback for that low of a price. And I think that's what he's going to become for the Dolphins. If I'm a Dolphins fan, again, I am very, very excited. It's also worth noting, um, <laughs> I think the Cardinals screwed up the Josh Rosen trade big time. They really, really screwed this up. Um, they should have traded him long before the draft. I mean, I don't know why they waited so long, um, but by waiting, what they did was they lost all of their leverage. You know, if you trade him before the draft... The Redskins, the Dolphins, the Giants, the Patriots, maybe even the Broncos, they're all in contention trying to get Josh Rosen. And because they waited, they lost all of their leverage and all of their, you know, their equity. I mean, really, like if you traded him earlier, you would have gotten, I think, a better deal than waiting. Um, I'm not sure why they did it. It seems like to me, the Cardinals really missed out on getting a better trade for Josh Rosen. I don't know why they waited. They did. And uh, what happened, happened. But to me, it seems like the Cardinals really, really screwed the pooch. Um, by the way, my throat's killing me. I don't know why. Um, I, I've been having... So I think it's a weird thing. When, you, when I have popcorn, I've learned that. I went to saw, I saw um, Avengers Endgame for the second time last night. Actually, someone who listens to my podcast bought me a ticket. It was really, really cool. Um, but I had popcorn last night. And um, it, it, when I, whenever I have popcorn, it like kills my throat. I didn't, I didn't, I've never really realized this, but now that I'm looking back on my life, I'm kind of paying attention like, oh... Every time I go to a movie and every time I have movie theater popcorn late at night and go to bed, it just wrecks my throat. And so I guess in the future, I got to stay far away from movie theater popcorn. I don't know if I'm alone in that. I probably am the only freak of nature in the world who can't handle movie theater popcorn without getting sick. Um, but that's, that's what happened to me. I want to now shift gears to uh, the Cardinals draft picks. Because I, I believe, personally, um, I believe the Cardinals did a really good job and made some nice picks in the NFL draft. There were four picks I really, really liked by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, number one, Kyler Murray. Obviously, I love this pick. Um, I love the guy. I think he's an incredible quarterback. I think mentally he's the best quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft. Um, he's also got the best arm. He's got an incredible athletic ability to run the football. Um, I, so I like Kyler Murray. I liked the Cardinals' second-round pick. They picked uh, Byron Murphy, the corner out of Washington. That's great. Uh, later in the second round, they picked Andy Isabella, a wide receiver from UMass, another great wide receiver. I think the Cardinals are going to use Andy Isabella very similar to the way that the Patriots used Wes Welker for years in New England. 
Um, and then in the fourth round, the Patriots got a steal. They got Hakeem Butler, the wide receiver from Iowa State. I could not believe that Hakeem Butler fell that far in the draft. Um, I mean, look, he's going to make a few plays for the Cardinals next year. He's great. He's six foot five. Um, and, and this will sound odd, but I think Hakeem Butler is still learning how to use his size properly. There are a couple times, even against Washington State last year in the Alamo Bowl, where Hakeem Butler got out jockeyed for positioning and doesn't quite know how to use his giant frame. But if you can dial in Hakeem Butler, which I think that having Larry Fitzgerald is really going to help him with that, to, to mentor Hakeem Butler and teach him how to use his body, oh my goodness, Hakeem Butler could become a freak of nature in the NFL with the Cardinals. Uh, so looking around, like on paper, it's great, right? The Cardinals' offense is in really good shape. They have Kyler Murray at quarterback, awesome. They have Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler. Um, they have David Johnson at running back. They have Larry Fitzgerald mentoring all of those young players. Um, and not that David Johnson is a young player, but my point was Larry Fitzgerald can help all the young wide receivers. That's going to be great. But here's what stands out to me when I look at the list of players that the Arizona Cardinals drafted this year. Um, I see, you know, three new wide receivers, a new quarterback, a tight end, but I only see two offensive linemen and two offensive linemen that were picked really late in the NFL draft in the sixth round, a center in the sixth round and an offensive tackle in the seventh round. And it's odd to me. It's odd to me why the Cardinals didn't invest more in their offensive line. Because last year, man, their offensive line was awful. It was terrible. It didn't work. And uh, I'm going to try giving the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, and just maybe, um, the Cardinals decided that talent, maybe talent wasn't the issue. Maybe what we got to do is get a new coach in, get our offensive line better coaching. That's going to really help our offensive line. So maybe that's the philosophy is they go, hmm, you know, we think coaching's the issue here. We have a better coach. Our offensive line will play better now that we have a better coach. Or maybe the thought is this. Maybe that the new scheme Cliff Kingsbury is bringing in is it's just going to get the ball out of Kyler Murray's hands so quickly. He's going to throw so many short passes um, that doesn't really matter how big their offensive line is or how good their offensive line is. Um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's air raid system, it is worth noting. I mean, his air raid system does not require a massive offensive line the same way a system like Alabama's would or uh, Georgia would. They're not running the power eye. They're not running the ball heavily. Um, I think they're going to throw the ball a lot and get the ball out of his hands quickly. So it's possible maybe that the thought is we're going to focus on getting wide receivers and getting places for Kyler Murray to distribute the ball and we'll deal with the offensive line later. Um, but it's you got to note, you got to pay attention to the fact that the Cardinals offensive line did not improve at all in the 2019 NFL draft. It didn't. I mean, sorry, like a fifth round center, sorry, sixth round center, a seventh round tackle. That's not going to get the job done. I don't even know their names. I've never heard of them. I don't care. Um, and traditionally, like, <laughs> and no matter what Cliff Kingsbury does, traditionally, what I know is that having a good offensive line is just a little bit important. Um, so like maybe things are different. Maybe Cliff Kingsbury's offense is just different schematically. And I don't know. Um, I mean, look, he's not a, he's not a traditional football coach at all. Um, but a storyline for sure, if you're a Cardinals fan, the storyline you have to pay attention to is the fact that the Cardinals offensive line did not improve in the draft at all. And um, is that going to be a problem moving forward? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out if maybe they get the ball out really quickly. Maybe they're going to coach him up and get better coaching. Or maybe it's going to hinder them forever and their offensive line is going to be really terrible again next year. 
I don't know, but that's a storyline I cannot wait to find out is, is the fact that they didn't invest in their offensive line and draft better to suit that, is it going to come back to bite them later? I don't know, but that's a storyline I want to follow and find out with the Arizona Cardinals next year in the 2019 NFL season. <sighs> okay, uh, I'm going to drink some water. We're going to then, we're then, we're, can't even talk. What's wrong with me? Uh, we're going to talk about the 11 quarterbacks who were taken in the 2019 NFL draft. Then we will talk about the Jets, how they changed their roster. We'll talk about the Packers' first-round pick. And then we'll talk about the way the NFL draft in general has changed over the years before taking a break. And then later down the road, we'll do the biggest stories of April 2019 because I missed a lot of stories. I've been on break, and I got a lot to talk about. Let me drink some water, and then we'll jump into those 11 quarterbacks taken in the 2019 NFL draft. <clears throat> Oh, my throat's killing me, guys. I don't why. Why does this happen? And by the way, I really loved Endgame. I thought it was awesome. I saw it twice in two days. I mean, it's a fantastic movie, um, but it was not worth my throat. Like, what happened? I got to call signals tomorrow. Call what? what I, I I play quarterback in college, and tomorrow I got to make a bunch of calls and check the line of scrimmage. And I got to talk. Talking's very important for my life and how I live it. Um, I don't like this. I don't like that. I can't talk. Uh so 11 quarterbacks were taken in the 2019 NFL Draft. 11 quarterbacks were picked. And I want to talk about each one and how they fit with their new team and kind of just dissect each draft pick. Very briefly, very small, a little tidbit about each one. So with the number one overall pick, the Arizona Cardinals drafted Kyler Murray, the Heisman Trophy winner, the quarterback out of Oklahoma. And uh, I love this pick. He's easily the best quarterback in the 2019 NFL Draft. Uh, I, th- I think this is, by the way, this is what's crazy about this pick. It is insane to me that Oklahoma had back-to-back Heisman-winning quarterbacks who went number one overall. That happened two years in a row. Like, deja vu, I don't know. That's unbelievable. That never, ever, ever happens, and that actually happened. And I don't think people are appreciating just how unbelievable it is that that actually happened. Not to mention that Kyler Murray is a special player. I mean, he is going to be, I think, really, really good in the NFL um, he's got an ability to read defenses that's unbelievable. He gets to his, in college at Oklahoma, he regularly worked all the way across the field, got back to his fourth and his fifth read. That's, you just don't see that very often from NFL players, from, excuse me, from high-level college quarterbacks. Most quarterbacks are comfortable getting to maybe their third read, but by then they break down and run, especially if you can run the way Kyler Murray does. Um, Kyler Murray has perfect mechanics. He's got a huge arm. Uh, despite his short height, I think his arm strength is unbelievable. And he's got a really, again, a special ability to run the football. Kyler Murray is a home run, and I loved what the Cardinals did. Now, uh, with the sixth overall pick, the Giants drafted Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. And um, I made a whole video about this earlier. I did a whole topic. But again, I, I really like this pick. I don't think it's a horrible pick. Um, this is a quarterback with average arm strength but good enough arm strength, who's very accurate and makes really good decisions. And I I don't know what else you want from a quarterback, a guy who's well-spoken, who makes good decisions and is accurate with the football. I I like this pick. I know it's controversial, but I think the Giants picked the guy they believe in, and I really respect that. Now, uh, with the 15th overall pick, the Redskins drafted Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback out of Ohio State. And I think the Redskins got a really solid quarterback. Uh, The key here is I really, really hope the Redskins are patient with Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins needs a patient fan base. Um, 
who allows him time because there are two things he really needs to work on. He needs to work on timing and he needs to work on footwork and mechanics. And if he's given time to do that, um, I think he could be a really good franchise quarterback. This guy's very detailed. I really respect Dwayne Haskins' work ethic, right? He does a great job at taking what the defense gives him. He rarely forces throws downfield. He makes really good decisions. I like Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback. But the key here is he's got to be given time to properly develop. Please, if you're the Redskins, please. And the problem is they're probably going to do this. They're probably going to put him into a situation he's not ready for. If you're the Redskins, please give Dwayne Haskins the time he needs to properly develop. There's one big problem with Dwayne Haskins is occasionally the ball comes out of his hand really weird. It's a small mechanical issue. I got to see that improve. Uh, He needs that better footwork. Again, I just hope they don't put him in before he is ready. And and the problem is it's very likely the Redskins are going to take a chance and put Dwayne Haskins in before he's ready. That's a storyline I want to track, um, and and we're probably going to be disappointed by that. Now, in the second round, the Broncos drafted the quarterback out of Missouri, Drew Locke. And um, it's a fantastic, fantastic pick. I love this. I really love Drew Locke going to the Broncos. Um, Look, he's got a great arm. He just has problematic decision-making, which is why he needs to sit and learn behind a really good quarterback. It's a perfect situation. Drew Locke gets to sit and learn behind Joe Flacco. Not to mention that the Broncos have a really good offensive coordinator, Rich Gangarello, who worked with Kyle Shanahan, the quarterback and the, 40, the, the head coach of the 49ers. Um, I think Denver is a perfect fit for Drew Locke. He gets to sit. He gets to learn. He gets a good coach, and there's no pressure to, for him to play immediately. But he's also a great fit for Denver, right? It goes both ways. Drew Locke really works well in the climate of Denver where there's cold weather, there's heavy wind, there's bad weather, and he's a huge guy with an even bigger arm. And his ability to shred the ball downfield into tight windows and cut through the wind and cut through storms, it's, it's a perfect fit. That's a guy, if, I'm, if I think of my prototypical Denver quarterback, I think of a guy who literally is exactly like, has all the skill sets that Drew Locke has. And so I, I love it. Maybe he's the next Jay Cutler. A lot of people are saying that. I hope he's a, got a better attitude than Jay Cutler. I think he does. Um, and I think, really, if you take away the weird attitude problems of Jay Cutler, I don't know why I, this was not in my plans to make this comparison, but I just physically they are very, very similar. And I think Drew Locke is a, a better and more positive guy than, than Jay Cutler was. Um, and I think that Drew Locke is a home run in the second round to Denver. That's a great pick. And he's going to be given time to develop. And I really, really like the Denver Broncos did by drafting Drew Locke. Now in the third round, the Panthers drafted Will Greer, uh, to be Cam Newton's new backup quarterback. And um, in some ways, I, I called this. I said, look, the NFL doesn't love Will Greer. He's a backup quarterback, and that's what he was picked to be. Um, but I think this is a really underrated pick because if you look at Cam Newton's trajectory of his career, Cam Newton, one, gets hit a lot, um, and he gets hurt often. And, and the way that Cam Newton plays football, the style of football he plays, running around, taking big shots, um, you know, I think Will Greer is not only going to be a good backup, but if Cam Newton's career is ever cut short because of an injury or because of his body just wears down very slowly over the next couple of years, um, I think that Will Greer is not only a good quarterback who makes good decisions, he'll be ready. If at some point it's clear the Panthers are going to need to move on from Cam Newton, 
Will Greer, I believe, will be ready to um, step into that role. I, I, I like what he is. I think he's a guy that needs three years to develop. But if you give him three years and let him learn your system, he might become a really good, even an NFL starting quarterback. And so that's what I want to watch is when inevitably it'll happen. At some point, Cam Newton's going to get hurt. How prepared will Will Greer, will Greer be to take advantage of that opportunity? My guess is he's going to be well-prepared and going to shred it when he gets the opportunity. Now, the second pick of the fourth round, uh, the Bengals drafted Ryan Finley, the quarterback out of NC State. And um, I don't love this pick. I I don't. I don't think he fits really well. This isn't even what my notes say. I I don't think he fits really well in Cincinnati in cold weather. Like the, The two big problems with Ryan Finley was he occasionally makes really bad decisions, and he doesn't have his really strong arm. When I hear those two things, actually, what I think of is Andy Dalton. Like Ryan Finley is a smaller ver- is a a younger version of Andy Dalton, and I don't know that he's going to ever become the starting quarterback in Cincinnati. A lot of people are like, he's the next. Maybe he's going to prepare and develop, and four years from now, he'll be the starting quarterback for the Bengals. I don't think that's what he is. I think the Bengals just wanted the lockdown and get a really good, solid backup. I could be wrong, right? I'm wrong, wrong about a lot of stuff, but I don't think Ryan Finley is the next great quarterback in Cincinnati, um, and I don't think he's the next successor to Andy Dalton. I think he's a really good backup who will do a good job being prepared behind Andy Dalton. He might even play well if he gets a chance, but I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. Uh, I think he's too limited with an arm strength problem, and uh, he's got to learn how to make better decisions with the football. Uh, later in the fourth round, the Patriots drafted... Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback out of Auburn. And um, the question everybody's going to ask is, is Jarrett Stidham the next Tom Brady? And I want you to think about that for a minute. There's not a next Tom Brady. That's literally my, my feeds on social media are blowing up with, is Jarrett Stidham the next Tom Brady? No, there's not a next Tom Brady. Stop saying that. Here's what Jarrett Stidham could be, though. Jared Stidham could very well be the next franchise quarterback for the New England Patriots. When, when inevitably Tom Brady gets old and moves on, it's possible Jared Stidham is the next guy. I like him. He makes really good decisions. Uh, and that's the baseline need, right? Jared Stidham did a really good job in college putting the ball in the right spot. Now, the thing that Jared Stidham needs to work on, the reason why Jared Stidham was not a first-round first pick and instead was a fourth-round pick is because he rarely fit the ball into tight windows when he was asked to. Um, but I think of all the quarterbacks, and his junior year, by the way, was far better than his senior year. But I, I try to judge guys on what their most recent work is. And many times his senior year, he had up, or his junior, his last, whatever, whatever the most recent year was for Jarrett Stidham, he had opportunities to fit the ball into tight windows and didn't deliver on those opportunities. Um, but I think, man, this is a truly great pick because Jarrett Stidham has potential. There's a really good foundation there. I would... Much If I'm the Patriots, I would much rather have Jarrett Stidham than Ryan Finley, the quarterback out of NC State. I think Jarrett Stidham is a really good pick by the Patriots, a very savvy pick, and uh, a guy who could potentially develop the same way Jimmy Garoppolo did for the Patriots and become a franchise quarterback eventually. Um, I like the Jarrett Stidham pick. I think they did a great job, and uh, he might be the next guy. Like when they picked, uh, what's that guy out of LSU? They picked Danny Etling last year, and everyone's like, Danny Etling is the next Tom Brady. You're, you're on drugs. Like, it's not going to happen. But Jarrett Stidham, he might actually be the next guy. 
that follows Tom Brady and becomes the franchise quarterback. Um, so I like the pick of Jarrett Stidham by the Patriots. Now in the fifth round, the Chargers drafted Ethan Stick, the quarterback out of North Dakota State. Um, I need to do a film analysis of this guy. I have no idea. I haven't watched his film. I don't want to say too much on him because I don't know. Um, but I want to find out. My, my question is, when I watch film, it, will Easton Stick be the next quarterback of the San Diego Chargers? Is he the quarterback of the future for this franchise? Or is he just a really good pick and a solid backup quarterback? I want to find that out eventually when I do a film analysis for Easton Stick. Another quarterback I haven't done a film analysis for was Clayton Thorson. He was actually the very next pick after Easton Stick. The Eagles drafted Clayton, Clayton Thorson, the quarterback out of Northwestern. Um, I thought it was weird because really the Eagles already have an interesting backup, Nate Sudfeld. Um, clearly, clearly they wanted more depth, um, but I, I need to do a film analysis of Clayton Thorson before I have a lot of uh, really you know well-researched stuff to say about him. Um, but it seems like if he is the backup quarterback for the Eagles, it is likely he would get a lot of playing time because, um, I mean, let's be honest about Carson Wentz. He frequently appears to get hurt. And so that's what I want to watch and kind of follow up on is, um, will Carson Wentz get hurt? And what kind of backup is Car- is Clayton Thorson for Carson Wentz? That's what I'm excited to see when I do my film analysis of him. Uh, there were three quarterbacks in total drafted in the NFL draft that I have not done film analysis for. Um, I didn't do one for Easton Stick yet. I didn't do one for Clayton Thorson yet. And I have not yet done one for Trace McSorley, the quarterback out of Penn State. Um, I will do all three of them very soon. And then at that point, I can give you more detailed information about what I think of this guy and what's going to happen. Um, but I'm excited to do that because I really want to dive in and go, what kind of guys are these? And really, I'm more interested actually in Trace McSorley and Easton Stick. We'll get to Clayton Thorson later. There's one other quarterback in the sixth round. Um, the sixth round, the 178th pick, the Jaguars drafted Gardner Minshew, the quarterback out of Washington State. And uh, this is so awesome. I've met Gardner Minshew. He's a great guy. Uh, and the Jaguars are a fantastic, fantastic spot for him. Um, the Jaguars have a starting quarterback. Nick Foles is their guy. And that means that Gardner Minshew can sit and learn how to become an NFL quarterback. Um, and, and I think that's a great situation. If you're Gardner Minshew, you want to become a successful NFL quarterback, have a 10-year career, you got put in a really good situation to succeed. Um, another thing that's really good about this move is that the AFC South in particular is a really good division that fits Gardner Minshew's skill set really, really well. Um, you know, you play games in Jacksonville, Florida, Nashville, Tennessee. You play indoors in Indianapolis, indoors in Houston. Gardner Minshew has a limited ability to throw the ball downfield. He's got he's just got limited arm strength. I love the guy. Great guy, really accurate, doesn't have a lot of velocity driving the ball downfield. Um, I would not want Gardner Minshew in New York or in Pittsburgh or in Denver, um, like a blizzard in Denver, count me out. I don't want Car- I don't want Gardner Minshew to be my quarterback. Um, in fact, I watched him play in a blizzard in the Apple Cup last year. It didn't work out very well. Um, but because of the AFC South, Gardner Minshew, if he ever becomes the Jaguars quarterback, is going to play mostly indoors in warmer weather, and that's a really, really good fit for Gardner Minshew. Another thing to mention, by the way, is he's a, I've said this many times in this topic, he's a fantastic fantastic human and uh the Jaguars locker room very much improved when they added him and they drafted him I really like what the Jaguars did it's a good pick and a good fit for Gardner Minshew 
The last quarterback drafted in the 2019 NFL Draft. Um, in the sixth round, the Ravens drafted Trace McSorley, the quarterback out of Penn State. I did not think he was going to get drafted. I was very surprised by this, although it makes sense. They wanted his rights, and uh, and maybe that's more the seventh round. But the point is this. Um, he's more of a running quarterback. I didn't think he was going to get drafted. I didn't even bother doing a film analysis of him because I thought really, I really thought Trace McSorley was going to be an XFL quarterback. And it makes sense, though. The Ravens have a system where the Ravens ask quarterbacks to do more with their legs than any other team in the NFL by far. And to have a good, scrappy backup for Lamar Jackson, a guy who can run, who can throw a little bit, Trace McSorley does really fit well into the Ravens system. And it makes sense. I, I really like it. I want to do a film analysis of him because I don't know how good he is as a passer. As a runner and as a guy who can throw a little bit and run a lot, he's a really good fit for the Baltimore Ravens offense. Now, there are three other quarterbacks who were signed that I think are notable. Um, Tyree Jackson went undrafted. He signed with the Buffalo Bills. He's a quarterback actually out of University of Buffalo. Uh, Arizona State quarterback Manny Wilkins, guy I've met. Great guy, works really hard. He's great in the film room. He's really a positive influence on your locker room. He signed with the Green Bay Packers. Um, I think he could make the roster. I think Manny Wilkins is an underrated quarterback, underappreciated quarterback, um, who I think does a lot of good stuff if he ever gets picked up and, and makes a team in Green Bay. And then uh, Boise State quarterback Brett Rippon signed with the Denver Broncos. I I don't know if he's going to make the roster. We'll find out. Um, but maybe he does. Maybe he might be holding a clipboard for a couple of years. Um, I think that's a weird move for him to sign there. I don't, he must not have had other offers. I don't know. Um, but I don't think Brett Rippon's ever going to see the field in Denver. Uh, sad that, I, I don't know. I'm not even going to do an NFL. I'm not even going to do a draft analysis of Brett Rippon. I don't really want to. I've met the guy. Uh, we have, I, I, just don't, I don't, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to do that. So um, those are where all 11 quarterbacks who were drafted went and three more additional quarterbacks who signed contracts in the NFL. Guys, um, those are the 11 quarterbacks. Thank you so much. That is my analysis. Now, I want to now shift gears to the New York Jets. We still have a lot. It's how many? We're an hour something in, hour five into recording this, and I still have a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Um, I look at the New York Jets. I look at the New York Jets, and I see a team that has just dramatically improved very, very quickly. Um, So last year in the NFL draft, they drafted their quarterback. They drafted Sam Darnold, the quarterback out of USC, and I really like Sam. I've met Sam Darnold. I think he's a great guy. I really believe in him. Um, but it's not just the quarterback, right? If you look at what the Jets added this offseason, they really dramatically improved their roster. The first thing they added was they got a new head coach. Um, their new head coach, Adam Gase, has a lot of doubters. I am not one of them. I really believe in Adam Gase. I think he's going to be a good move for the New York Jets. Um, I think for some perspective here, Adam Gase, the, Jet, the Jets head coach, found a way to beat the Chicago Bears' great defense last year with Brock Osweiler playing quarterback. What else do you need to say? I mean, that's unbelievable. Adam Gase never had consistent quarterback play in Miami as their head coach, and yet he still found a way to consistently beat the Patriots every year, and he still found a way to be successful and win some games. That's, that's truly a, good, a guy with, who's a good quarterback coach and a good coach in general. And now that he has a really solidified quarterback, Sam Darnold, I think that Adam Gase is going to eventually be successful and lead the Jets to the playoffs. I do. I know that's maybe out there. I really believe in the Jets and what they're doing. Um, they also added a lot of really good players this offseason. The number one player I think is more most interesting is that 
The Jets got an incredible player, Quinn and Williams, in the 2019 NFL draft. They drafted him third overall. And uh, man, many people said this was the was it third overall? I think I think it's third overall. I, I don't I might be way off. I, I think that's right though. Um I, I should just cut that out. I have no idea. Um <laughs> but they drafted Quinn and Williams. And many people have said that Quinn and Williams is the best player in the 2019 NFL draft. I tend to agree. I really like Quinn Williams. He's a great defensive tackle who is a stopgap against the running game in early in the year. Um, I think it's going to help him against the Patriots, actually. A team that likes to run the ball between the tackle, between the guards uh, inside. I think it's going to be really good. Um, Quinton Williams helps the Jets. They also added two really expensive but really talented pro bowlers. They added C.J. Mosley, the linebacker from the Ravens. They also added Le'Veon Bell, the running back everyone knows from the Steelers. I don't mind the Jets becoming big spenders because they had the second most amount of money of all the teams in the NFL. They have the second most amount of cap space to spend money on. Um, I like it. The Jets also nabbed Jamison Crowder, the wide receiver from the Washington Redskins. Um, I do not believe the Jets are going to win their division. I think they're going to come up second in the AFC East. They're not ready to dethrone the Patriots just yet. Um, But I think, man, the direction the Jets are headed in is really... A very good direction. They finally got their head coach solidified. They have a quarterback. They have C.J. Mosley to anchor their defense. They have Quinnen Williams now. They have Le'Veon Bell, a good running back. They have a couple good wide receivers. I really believe in the direction the Jets are headed, and I think they're doing a lot of good stuff. So, man, personally, I think the Jets have massively upgraded in just one offseason, and uh, no one's really talking about that. No one's saying, wow, the Jets are much better. They are. They're a much better team. And at some point, I think they're going to dethrone the Patriots. Not this year, maybe not the year after this, but maybe three years from now, I think the Jets are going to make a move and dethrone the Patriots in the AFC East. Okay, Um, I want to quickly highlight the Packers' first-round draft pick. With a 12th overall pick, the Green Bay Packers drafted Rashawn Gary, who is listed as an outside linebacker slash edge rusher. rusher. (laughs) And... um, the message is very clear to me that the Packers are investing in their defense, right? They also drafted um, Darnell Savage, a safety from Maryland, 21st overall. They traded back in, up into the first round. Um, this appears to be the Packers strategy. They said, we signed Aaron Rodgers to a, bu- a bunch of money. We're going to support Aaron Rodgers. We got him a new head coach, a guy who's got better offensive systems. And then we are planning to annihilate opposing teams quarterback with our defense. We brought in the 12th overall pick, Rashawn Gary, who is... Basically, defensive end. And when I, initially when this pick was made, I was very confused. I said, why would you draft that? Because in free agency last year, the Green Bay Packers brought in two people with the last name Smith. They brought in Preston Smith with a $52 million contract, who is an outside linebacker, edge rusher guy. They also brought in Zadarius Smith for a, with a $66 million contract to be the edge rusher on the opposite side. Um, so I don't know, you know, if, if used as a linebacker, then Rashawn Gary is a redundant pick and a bad pick, but I don't think that's, uh, no one's that stupid, right? You don't draft Rashawn Gary and go, we're putting it on the bench or a backup now. I'm sure they drafted Rashawn Gary to be on the field. Here's my guess. Here's how you get all three guys on the field at the same time. The Packers run a three, four defense, which means that there are three down linemen, uh, three guys in stances down on the defensive line. And then there are four stand-up linebackers behind them walking around freely. And I think that maybe um, maybe each of the Smiths will, Smiths will be on the one side. So I think my guess is that 
you're going to have Zadarius Smith come off the left side and Preston Smith come off the right side. Then, so there will be standing up outside linebackers. Next you will have, my guess is uh, Rashawn Gary down in a stance on the defensive line, probably in a four technique, which means he will be head up facing the offensive tackle. Don't know which side, probably probably left, but maybe right or left, I don't know. Um, and because at Michigan, multiple times, Rashawn Gary was down in a stance. If this is too confusing for you. My point is this. At first, I thought I was really redundant when they drafted Rashawn Gary, when they already had two outside linebackers they just picked up in free agency. My guess is they're going to put all three on the field at the same time with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith coming off the edge and Rashawn Gary coming from a four technique in a stance. And the Packers are trying very, very heavily to get after opposing teams' quarterbacks. It is very clear. If you're Kirk Cousins, if you're Mitchell Trubisky, if you're Matthew Stafford, look out because the Packers want to take your head off and get pressure on the quarterback. And actually, like I, I think that's a good, a good strategy. I mean, man, uh, if you want to win games, get after the quarterback on the opposing team. Not a bad strategy, not a bad plan. And I, I, I don't know. I'm going to get Tom Grossi on. Tom Grossi is a guy who runs a Green Bay Packers podcast. About two, three weeks from now, after spring ball is over, when I get done from break, um, I'm going to have him on the podcast to get his perspective, see what he thinks. Um, but I, all in all, it's a good pick because that's their philosophy. They are going to get after opposing teams' quarterbacks. We're going to support Aaron Rodgers, and if you're the quarterback playing against us, we are going to hit you and hit you a lot. And so it makes me excited for matchups like the Packers and Patriots next year. I think it's Sunday Night Football. going to be really fun because, man, they're going to get after Tom Brady. And that is what I'm excited to watch next year with the Green Bay Packers is this draft pick tells me they really want to get after the quarterback and put pressure on an opposing team's quarterback. That's really, really good and really, really interesting. Now, um, before we go to break, there's a very nerdy video on YouTube. It's called, uh, it's an NFL Films video called The Original Mel Kuyper. It's called, and then like a little line called in the draft stories. Um, this address, this video addresses my number one problem with draft analysts, and it really talks about where this problem came from. So I really, really, really hate draft analysts' obsession with numbers. People always talk about, how big is this guy's hands? How fast is his 40 time? Does he jump really high? What's his bench press numbers? A lot of blah, 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 stuff I don't care about. I'm a guy, I'm, I'm weird, I know. I care how well a guy plays football. What does the film say? That's my mantra. That's what matters to me. Now, um, yes, having measurables is very important. You want, you, you want athletes that are bigger, faster, stronger. I'm not saying that. But measurables are not everything. They're something for sure, but they're not everything. And what I learned was that in the 70s and the 80s, when, you know, there was no YouTube. There was no, it was really difficult to watch film. And when draft analyzing was becoming kind of a, a, a new thing, right? People were finally starting to pay attention to the draft. And you had guys literally in their basements making up mock drafts and making up previews. These guys had really only access to the numbers. They couldn't watch film very easily. Again, there's no YouTube, there's no huddle. And so what that meant was that draft previews in the 70s and 80s heavily relied on statistics, heavily relied on how many sacks a guy had, heavily relied on a guy's 40-yard dash time, how big his hands were, how tall he was, all of the measurables. 
And if you based, you know, these metrics, for example, he's a great example of this, is that based on these metrics, DK Metcalf would have been a top 10 NFL draft pick. DK Metcalf, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss, had really good measurables. But then you watch his film and you went, he's not that great of a football player. And the good news is the world has changed, and not entirely, but slowly but surely the world is changing and becoming a more more well-thought-out draft strategy and draft plan. Um, People are watching more film. I mean, look, if if people went off the same philosophies they had in the 70s and 80s, then again, DK Metcalf would have been a top 10 pick. He wasn't. That's a really good sign. If you're an NFL fan and a fan of weird, nerdy draft stuff like I am, you go, you celebrate, you go, yes, good. People are paying more attention to how players play rather than how players look. Um, And I really think it's important. You know, we have access now more than ever to things like film. We can watch, we can base our opinions on how players play rather than how players look and all their measurables. And I I just think it's really important rather than saying this guy's really good because he's tall. We can say, well, we like the good plays from this player, but the bad plays are what we really like because the bad plays are very few and very limited. Um, And we can be more precise. Measurables are important. Yes. Again, you want bigger faster, stronger athletes. But my point of this whole topic is that very slowly we're weeding out the big problem of draft analyzation where it's no longer just reliant on the numbers, right? Kyler Murray, a 5'10 quarterback, was picked number one overall. And DK Metcalf, a guy with really fantastic measurables, was the last pick of the second round. Slowly but surely, people are becoming more adept and more understanding of what makes a good football player. And that's really, really cool. As, As a draft nerd like me, that's very, very exciting because film is what matters. Stop telling me about measurables. I want to know what the film says. And very slowly but surely, draft coverage is trending in that direction. And that makes me very, very excited as a football fan. Um, okay, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we're going to talk about the biggest stories from April. I missed a bunch because I've been doing spring football practice. We're going to talk about, I think there's, I, I don't know, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the seven Biggest stories of April 2019. We'll talk about that next. Uh, before we go to break, I want to say this. Um, and, and I do this topic every single episode for my brother um, who who really um, – in 2016, my younger brother committed suicide. He took his life. And um, he never told anybody he was having a hard time. And so I want to be very, very clear. If you are struggling, if you're having a hard time, please go get help. Go talk to somebody. Do not keep your struggles. Do not keep your problems a secret. Um, you know, one day I just found my brother in his room, dead on the floor. And that's awful. And that's really sad. Um, so again, I just encourage you, if you're having a hard time, talk to somebody about it. Reach out to your friends. Reach out to a professional. Go get help. Uh, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Um, personally, I, look, if you need the suicide hotline, do it. Make a phone call. But if you can... Talk to somebody in your life. Talk to, you know, my best friends in the world are like my family. And if I'm having a hard time, I call Jared Oman. I call Nathan Hawthorne, who's been on this podcast before, my best friend. I call Elijah Bush. I call my best friends in the world. Um, if you have no friends, Suicide Hotline's great. Or go talk to a professional. But please, if you're struggling, go get help. Do not keep your struggles a secret. My brother did. My brother's no longer here. And, and I really hope that we can slowly but surely... Um, make progress and slow down suicide rates in America and around the globe because it, it's a an issue I really care about and really passionate about. And um, I, I really I just want to reaffirm the message. If you are struggling, please go get help. 
Okay, uh, last thing before I take a break. Um, I want to give a big shout-out to a, a friend of mine and a guy I consider a colleague, uh, Tom Grossi. Tom Grossi runs uh, the Packers podcast on YouTube, and he does an unbelievable job. I just I, I love Tom Grossi. He's really fantastic. He puts his heart and his soul out and really has the last month, like six weeks in a row, I think he's made five videos a week. It's just unbelievable. Um, and it's really, ins- as, a, as a fellow broadcaster, it's really inspiring to watch. It's just amazing what he does. And so um, I just want to say, man, Tom Grassi, you've done fantastic. I know you got one more week left. Please, very soon, go take a break. Get some sleep, dude. You've been watching. I don't know what you've been doing every night, but you have not been sleeping enough. Because uh, you don't realize Tom Grassi has a day job and also does his podcast. It's unbelievable to me. Um, I just want to say, man, if Tom Grassi, please go take Jane out, go on a nice date. Um, and, and man, at some point, please get a break. Tom Grassi, um, I just respect what you do. And I'm, I'm very, very glad to call you a friend and an ally. And uh, I'm just such a fan of what you do, man. I just want to tip my cap because you have done a fantastic job covering the NFL draft. Guys, my name is Axe Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, again, we'll talk about the seven biggest stories from April 2019. My name is Axe Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, man, I'm so excited. I, just, I had to go to the bathroom really bad. I pee, like, incredibly bad. Um, but I'm so excited to, like, put this out. I hope it surprises people. Um, I don't know that I, I've worked really hard to keep this very much a secret. I told one person, one of my Patreon supporters is the only person in the world that knows I'm recording this podcast other than my dad, of course. Um, and man, I can't wait to like put it out and surprise people. Yeah, here it is. Like, I'm going to just drop it on my Instagram story, say, and it's live right now. Go watch it. And people are like, oh, you made a video. What the heck? Um, I, I'm sorry. I've been in the middle of spring football practices, which has um, taken away like my, you know, I'm busy every night. I practice every single night. And so. Uh, we're every other night, and it's been awesome and fun, but it's also, you know, I can't do sports. I can't do a, I can't play football and do strong opinion sports. You know, the research it takes. I got to watch film for my own career, and so um been on break. And and while I've been on break, um, I've missed out on a couple big stories in April that I wanted to talk about now. Um, now, officially, to be very clear, the next episode of this podcast will go out on Tuesday, May 14th. That's when this podcast that's when the next episode of this podcast will go live after the one you're listening to right now. Um, but I, I just am, I'm so excited, man. I love football. I'm having so much fun. And I know that it's weird to take a break, like especially when I have so much momentum. I'm growing at such an incredible weight rate with Strong Opinion Sports. But I think that um, in the long run, the show is going to be better. The show is going to grow more. And I'm going to have better, more interesting stuff to say because I, I'm taking a break now. And focusing on my own football career, like, you know, relational stuff, getting along with players and how to deal with this situation or that situation. I'm just learning a lot about life and a lot about football and locker rooms and team culture. That's going to give me stories for the rest of my life doing strong opinion sports. And I look at this as a long term investment. I want to do strong opinion sports till I am old and gray and can barely walk or talk anymore. And um, I, I think that doing, you know, playing college football is the best thing for the longevity of the show and the best thing for having the best content long-term is having stories where I played college football and have that kind of stuff. It's going to be awesome. And so um, I, I know it's been weird missing the show. I, I hate it. Like I, I miss talking about stuff every week. That's why I have all these topics that I wrote down because I'm like, oh, so much to say. Um, but long-term, I think it's worth it. So now let's jump into the first thing I want to talk about is LeBron James. Um since LeBron James has joined the LA Lakers, this is what has happened. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six major events that have taken place since LeBron James joins 
uh, joined the Lakers. I want to talk about them. So the first thing that happened was LeBron James joined the Lakers, and then Paul George decided to stay in Oklahoma City rather than join the Lakers and join LeBron James. Um, now, instead, of it's very clear. Paul George is from Los Angeles. He chose to stay in Oklahoma City rather than to go home and play with LeBron James. That's not good. That's really, really concerning. Now, the next thing that happened was uh, something we'd never, ever seen before, which was that LeBron James got injured. He got hurt. He missed a number of games. And I, I can't remember a time, I don't think it's ever really happened in my career, where LeBron James got hurt and missed a long stretch of games. I just don't think it's ever happened. The third thing that happened was the Lakers were unable to make a trade for Anthony Davis. Um, they were unable to make an Anthony Davis trade come together, and it hurt their entire locker room. It was just toxic and awful um, because what it did was the team chemistry became really messy and ugly because, I mean, guys had their careers threatened. A lot of guys were threatened to be traded to Los Angeles or threatened to be traded for Anthony Davis and leave Los Angeles, and that really kind of... I'm sure damaged a lot of relationships and damaged a lot of stuff. Like guys going, you want me gone so you can get Anthony Davis? Like, how do you live with that? How do you tell a teammate, yeah, I'm going to get rid of you to get someone else? That's hard, man. That's like a breakup. So that, so first, again, Paul George, he got hurt. He couldn't trade for Anthony Davis. And then the Lakers missed the playoffs. And um, that's, that, that's right there. That's not good. They missed the playoffs. Then Magic Johnson, the team's president of basketball operations, stepped down. No playoffs. They lost their leader. And then Luke Walton and the team separated and, you know, parted ways. So you lost your coach. You lost your team president. You couldn't trade for Anthony Davis. You couldn't get Paul George to come to his hometown to play with LeBron. And you missed the playoffs. It's a mess. It's really not good. Everything that's been going, oh, and LeBron got hurt. I think I said playoffs twice. I don't know. The point is this, is that, you know, to this point, the Lakers are failing. And the biggest crime, by the way, the biggest thing the Lakers have done, the Lakers could not get me to want to sit down and watch them play. After LeBron's initial push of like excitement where I was like, yeah, LeBron is a Laker. I, I watched for a couple weeks and then I just lost interest because like my, my, you know, the initial excitement wore off and I, and I couldn't get myself to engage again. And after he got hurt, when he came back from the injury, I watched like the one game where LeBron came back. and was like, LeBron's return. And, and then after that, I just couldn't get myself to care. I mean, I really hoped that the Lakers would be in the playoff hunt at some level near the end of the season, and that they weren't. Um, they weren't even battling for like the eighth seed or something. It bothered me, but I, I had realistic expectations of what the Lakers would be. Here is all I expected from the LA Lakers last year. I just thought that it would be far more interesting to watch LeBron play in LA. It it wasn't to me. I, it didn't draw me. It didn't bring me to a television like. Tiger Woods made me watch the Masters. I don't even watch or play golf. Bryce Harper gets me to a television to watch baseball. And I'm not a huge... I like baseball. I like playoff baseball. I don't love regular season baseball. But every once in a while, a big Bryce Harper game gets me to turn the television on. LeBron did not have that draw for me this year. I thought it would. I, I, I don't know. I know that's weird. That's my personal preference. But I personally just was not as invested in Lakers as I thought it would be. And it hurt them, man. They could not pull me to a television. It's not good for the Lakers right now. They are not doing well. It seems like people, I mean, your coach left, your team president stepped down. I think he was, you know, he's really stepped down before he got fired, but you couldn't get Paul George to come. And it seems like people don't want to work with LeBron James. They're not as eager to come play in LA with LeBron as I thought they would be. 
And really, as of right now, you know, it seems like, first of all, the Lakers are struggling to build around LeBron. But as of right now, LeBron's move to L.A. is a failure. They have failed over and over and over. And all the things they needed to do have not worked out and have not panned out well at all. And so as of this very moment, LeBron going to the Lakers is a failure. It's still a work in progress, for sure. But if you're keeping score, the Lakers are losing by a lot. It's ugly and it's not good. Now, here's what I think could save the Lakers. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I think Kobe Bryant could be the savior that the Lakers need. Uh, you know, when Magic was named the president of basketball operations for the Lakers, the belief was that Magic Johnson, the brand and the name, would attract big stars to L.A. And there are two problems with that. The first one is that Magic Johnson played in the 80s, one year in the 90s, one year in 95 after he fixed the, you know, figured out he could play with HIV. Um, but young stars in the NBA today did not grow up watching Magic Johnson. It was before their time. So they aren't very familiar with Magic Johnson. They know the lore, the rumors, the legend, the documentaries, but they didn't watch Magic Johnson play every day growing up. And the second problem with Magic Johnson as the president of basketball operations for the Lakers is that Magic Johnson does not appear to be a guy who just loves to grind, who loves to work. Um, you know, I play quarterback in college, and every single night, it's a pain in the butt, every single night I do a two-hour walkthrough to go through our entire playbook and run through plays, my assignment here and here, what's the read based on every situation. Uh, I call this boiler room time. Boiler room time. Because what I do is I go to a really loud room with a furnace where I can yell protections and I can yell, you know, park, park, whatever, whatever the, the, the cadence is. I can yell the cadence and um, without bothering anybody. Nobody gets bothered and nobody is, minds me yelling. So that's, that's my boiler room time. I call that, that's where I mentally prepare and do the work by myself, the lonely work and the, the work alone to get better and prepare for my craft. It's called boiler room time. And Magic Johnson... I don't believe is doing a lot of boiler room time. I don't think Magic Johnson is putting in a lot of work behind the scenes that no one really sees to get better and become a better basketball president, uh, president of basketball operations for the Lakers. I, don't, I just don't think he was doing that. Um, now, I think Kobe, in contrast, would be a really good fit to take over where Magic Johnson left off. The first reason is NBA stars of today are my age, and they grew up watching Kobe Bryant. I'm, I'm 22 years old. A lot of the youngest, best stars in the NBA are 22 to 26. They grew up watching Kobe Bryant play in the NBA. They would idolize his name, his who he is would actually attract people to LA because they are familiar with him. They know him, they revere and respect him far more than they ever did Magic Johnson because they were not familiar with Magic Johnson. The second thing is this. We know that Kobe Bryant loves to work. He loves the work. He loves boiler room time. Oh, my goodness. Kobe Bryant obviously would do the work. Scouting or promoting, whatever the heck it is that a president of basketball operations does. We know that Kobe Bryant would do it, and he would love doing it because that is who Kobe Bryant is. And so I think something drastic needs to change in L.A. They are failing right now. They don't have help for LeBron. He missed the playoffs. And they don't have another big player with LeBron. That's a big problem. I think Kobe Bryant, oddly enough and really cool enough, could be the solution to all their problems. How like poetic and incredible would that be if, and just fitting, if Kobe Bryant was the thing that was able to bring LeBron help to the Lakers, 
Oh my gosh. It'd be awesome. I put egos aside for a minute. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James working together to win championships in LA. Oh, that that's the dream. That would be awesome. And so that's what I think needs to happen is either either scrap the entire approach, forget trying to attract big players and do something else, or hire Kobe Bryant to become the president of basketball operations and do what Magic Johnson never quite could do because of Magic Johnson's limitations. I think Kobe Bryant could be the savior of the LA Lakers. Okay. Um, do you remember when Michigan State head basketball coach Tom Izzo yelled at one of his players? I know you do. I do. Um, and uh, it was big news. A lot of people, a lot of people attacked Tom Izzo for yelling at one of his players during the NCAA tournament. I defended him. I defended Tom Izzo. I said, look, yelling happens. I'm a college athlete. You get yelled at sometimes. It's not the end of the world. And it's really important to know where yelling comes from. If you know a head coach or you know any coach, often yelling comes from a place of love, a place of, I want you to succeed. You're letting me down. Let's go. It doesn't always need to be the way you communicate, but you know, I I just, you can't, it's really hard for someone to speak into a relationship they're not involved in. And all these people who hated Tom Izzo for yelling at one of his players, I just said, totally overblown and very ridiculous. Um, And we found further evidence that supports my theory that this was entirely overblown. Um, Michigan State's best player, Cassius Winston, um, had a chance to leave school and go to the NBA. And instead of leaving school, he decided to stay at Michigan State and continue another year playing basketball for his program. Um, And this is just proof that it's totally overblown. If you have a really big problem with your coach, if your coach is really that toxic, that evil, and that awful, then you would never choose to stay and play for him. Clearly, people like him. Clearly, people respect him because people continue to keep wanting to work with him. Yelling is not a problem. This is it. This is the end of it now. Cassius Winston staying with Michigan State is the final straw that says, to me, all the criticism of Tom Izzo was entirely ridiculous, entirely overblown, and I wished him nothing but the best. I'm a big fan of Tom Izzo gained a fan in me because I really like the way he carried himself and the way his team rallied around him. They got to the Final Four. That's awesome. And I, I just, man, I really hope that um, they succeed next year. Um, I, I like what Cassius Winston did. I like the way he carries himself. And um, clearly, again, all that stuff about Tom Izzo yelling at players being awful and toxic was clearly wildly wrong. Okay. Um, a lot of basketball stuff. It's good. We're, we're almost done, actually, which is really cool. We have three more, four more stories left. Um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. It's my hometown. It's where I'm from, and um, which means that all my best friends are Blazer fans, right? I, I'm, I don't have a favorite team. I just, I'm, I don't, I'm not a fan. I just don't yell at things. I don't, I, uh, I, I just have a hard time. The, the one time I've ever felt like a fan was when I was watching. Uh, Gardner Minshew at Washington State last year. And I don't really care how they do this year. I just like Gardner Minshew. I like players more than teams. But a lot of my friends, the point is, a lot of my friends are very much Blazer fans, all my best friends. And uh, when the Blazer center, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, got hurt earlier this year, um, my friends kind of gave up on the Blazer season. They said, ah, man, it's too bad. You know, one of our best players, our our big three is hurt, and it's going to really hurt us. And so I totally wrote off the Blazers in my head. I said, yeah, the Blazers are out. They lost, they lost their center. They still have C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. Um, but clearly, I was wrong. I mean, recently, we saw the Blazers 
blow past Oklahoma City Thunder in just five games. Um, and the series, the way the series ended was a really, really big deal. Um, and, and it went viral. It was awesome. It was very exciting. Um, the Blazers star Damian Lillard hit a 40-foot buzzer beater uh, to win the game and end the series in game five. And I have two big takeaways from this moment uh, that I think are very important. Uh, the number one thing is this. that Damian Lillard's career has been just completely underappreciated, undervalued. Uh, he's the best Blazer ever. The best Portland Trailblazer ever is Damian Lillard. And by the way, he's a better player than Russell Westbrook. Russell, a lot of people call him Russell West Brick. Uh, there's a reason for this. This is an easy call. Damian Lillard hits a three-point shot clutch often. He's, I've seen many, many game winners in my lifetime living in the Portland area. I remember a couple years ago where he had a shot with 0.9 seconds left to knock the, the Houston Rockets out of contention in the playoffs, and it was awesome. Here's a 100% fact. Between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Blazers, this is completely true. Russell Westbrook is at least, at the very least, the fourth person I would have take a buzzer beater. I would have Damian Lillard shoot the final shot. I'd have Paul George shoot the final shot. I'd have CJ McCollum shoot the final jump shot. If I need a three-pointer for the win, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, or Paul George, and then I go to Russell Westbrook. Because Russell Westbrook's jumper, it's not Damian Lillard's. It's not Paul George's. It's not CJ McCollum's. It's a big problem. To have a, a, by the way, a basketball player with a problem with his jump shot, it's a big deal. And I also want to point out a funny number that really I think is cool. Since Paul George decided to stay in Oklahoma City rather than join the L.A. Lakers, the Lakers and the Thunder have the same amount of playoff series wins. Zero. Zero. And, and here's the story to me is that Yes, Damian Lillard deserves far more recognition than he's ever been given before. People very much underappreciate Damian Lillard. He's kind of tucked up in the, the corner of the country and nationally doesn't get a lot of attention. But man, um, really the story to me is people so wildly celebrate Russell Westbrook. He makes headlines all the time. He gets so much attention, for, attention from NBA writers. And, you know, the last time the guy won a playoff series was when he had Kevin Durant on his team. Since Kevin Durant left, in the three years since Kevin Durant left the Oklahoma City Thunder, four years ago, Russell Westbrook has not won a playoff series. Despite the advantageous numbers, despite things in his favor, couldn't pull it off. Last year, this year, two, three years ago. Man, look at it this year. So Yusuf Nurkic was hurt. And the Blazers had C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. And the numbers were in the favor of the Oklahoma City Thunder. They had Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams, and they still couldn't make it happen. They couldn't win their series. It's awful. Ever since losing Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook has very much underperformed. And by the way, I know that people are starting to recognize, oh, he's fading. It, it, like The love for Russell Westbrook is slowly starting to fade. People are going, oh. Maybe it's kind of a fraud. Let me just be very clear. It's time to call it like it is. Russell Westbrook is overrated. Russell Westbrook. One more time. Russell Westbrook is overrated. Okay. Um, one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life is a book by Drew Brees. It's called Coming Back Stronger. 
Uh, it's all about Drew Brees' story where he hurts his shoulder, um, and uh, his team, the San Diego Chargers at the time, said, Drew, we're done. We're going to let you go. We're going to discard you away. And uh, Drew Brees made a comeback. He came back to the New Orleans Saints and ultimately won a Super Bowl with them. And it's one of my favorite comeback stories of all time. Another good comeback is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning hurts his neck. He missed the entire 2011 NFL season with a hurt neck. And then two years later, in 2013, won the NFL MVP at 55 touchdown passes. That's a really good comeback story. Andrew Luck got hurt, missed a bunch of time, made a comeback. It's awesome. Michael Jordan quit basketball for an entire year. <laughs> Went and played baseball. So he won three titles, goes to play baseball, comes back to the NBA. When he comes back, wins three more NBA titles. It's a good comeback. Those are some of the most notable comebacks that come to my mind when I think of comeback stories. Well, I think that we recently saw the best comeback story I've ever seen in my entire life because none of those stories compare to Tiger Woods. I've never golfed in my life. I don't care. Unless you count mini golf. I've done mini golf. I don't really like it that much either. Um, I don't like golf. I don't enjoy golfing. I don't like watching golf. I don't care about golf. I think it's funny. It's very easy for me to make fun of. I don't care. Unless, unless the one time I get myself to pay attention to golf, for, for whatever, it's just emotional for me. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's not rational. But I watch Tiger Woods. I do. I care. It's an interesting story. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Um, in mid-April, Tiger Woods won his 15th major. But what's known about this one is that it's the first time he's won a major in 11 years. 11 years. Some of the people watching this video probably aren't even 11 years old. It's honest truth. <laughs> Imagine your entire lifetime you hadn't won and you did it again. It's amazing to me. I'm not even going to tell the story very well. I just want you to know that the story here is so hard not to make you want to root for Tiger Woods. Um, the guy screwed up. He got che caught cheating. Everyone knew about it. There was a mugshot, publicly very embarrassing, a mugshot everywhere. His wife left him. And, and, and man, again, the public shame and embarrassment I'm sure that Tiger Woods had after that incident is brutal. So mentally, you're all screwed up. Then he hurt his back. His back was also hurt. And 11 years went by. And we saw occasionally flashes in the last couple, you know, most recent years where Tiger Woods would play a really good day of golf at the beginning. And I would get, you know, me, Zach, who doesn't care about golf. It's like Friday. I go, yes, I'm so excited. Let's go. And right as I finally tune in, he falls off a cliff. And I'm just like, dang it. And something different happened this time. You know, I tuned in because I don't, I don't watch the first day. I don't care. And I tuned in. I paid attention. And, and it worked. And he did really well and he kept winning and he kept winning. And I watched, and it was just the coolest moment watching this guy who has been so you know, embarrassed publicly and been through a lot. It's been 11 years between the last time you won and this time. And, and I think I'm sure the guy considered retiring and walking away and saying, I have millions of dollars. I'm good. I'm going to give up. And that story to me is the best comeback story in all of sports. The way that Tiger Woods just kept going. And you know, despite public humiliation, despite, Shame, despite an injury, despite, you know, I'm sure when you have millions of dollars, what motivates a guy to keep going? I don't know. Um, but that, that to me, man, 11 years between your last victory and this most recent one, that's the best comeback story I've ever seen in my life. And right now it's my favorite story in sports. You know, as, as a guy who um, I just, I, I remember when I was very little, you know, watching Tiger Woods, not really understanding golf, not really caring. 
um, to me, it was emotional. Like I was like, oh, good for Tiger. This guy that, um, you know, has been through a lot and very, you know, just we all know who he is. Everyone knows. And it was like watching, you know, my it's like the little engine that could. We're like, yeah, finally, like this guy we've rooted for uh, got back to the top. Just to me, like that was such a cool story. I wanted to share that moment because I just, I don't talk about golf ever on this podcast. I don't care about golf. But the one time I care about golf is, you know, Tiger Woods makes me sentimental and makes me care. I just remember being very little watching the guy on the TV and um, happy for him, man. Really cool, really cool story. 11 years between the last one and this one. That's just awesome. I'm rambling now, but man, um, I just watched it. With, ah, that's, that's a super special story. I got to talk about that on the podcast because that's so awesome. Um, the Alliance of American Football folded. The Alliance of American Football is no longer a thing, and that is very, very sad to me. Now, uh, the XFL starts next year. Right after the Super Bowl next year, the XFL will begin. We can watch more football. Um, it'll be fun. I will watch. I love football. I don't care who's playing. I watch basically no matter what. I'm like a, I'm just a football nerd, a junkie, and I don't care. Um, but losing the Alliance of American Football specifically hurts really bad as a football fan, and I'll tell you why. Um, the Alliance was trying to become an official developmental league, basically an official minor league of the NFL. So the XFL is not going to cooperate with Roger Goodell's NFL, but the Alliance of American Football was. They were trying to work with the NFL and were trying to partner with them. And, um, you know, I want you to picture right now a backup quarterback in the NFL. How about uh, Jarrett Stidham, the backup for the Patriots? Or Ryan Finley, the backup to Andy Dalton in with the Bengals? Or... Mason Rudolph with the Steelers. Picture one of these guys. Now, if you're a backup quarterback in the NFL, reps are very, very limited. It's hard to get on the field. It's hard to get playing time. It's hard to get better and find a way to improve. You don't get very many reps at practice. You you can't afford to let, you know, Tom Brady's your quarterback. Sorry, Jarrett Stidham. You're not going to touch the field very often. And you're certainly not getting any reps during games. So when is the one time a backup quarterback has an opportunity to improve in practice? It's running the scout team. It's running the other team's offense. When you are pretending you're the other team's quarterback and running plays, trying to give your scout team, you're running the scout team offense, trying to give your defense a better look. That's, that's pretty weak. It happens. It's not terrible. It's better than nothing. But, uh, you know, that's not a perfect way for quarterbacks to get better. And I just, how great would it be if, you know, if a team could send their backup quarterback down to a developmental league and get them real game experience where they could get better and become better players? Somewhere, you know, man, I just wish that the NFL developmental league, that the AAF had worked out. If you could send, you know, a quarterback like Mason Rudolph down or Jarrett Stidham down or Ryan Finley down to get better. It'd be great. You'd be getting better, preparing them for the future. And, and, and now the problem with this is, you know, the the violent nature of the NFL and the violent nature of the game of football, period, um, makes this very, very difficult to execute. You know, what if Jarrett Stidham, the pa- Patriots backup quarterback, gets sent down to the AAF and gets hurt? Who pays for medical bills? Who pays for this? Who, there's just weird logistical problems because of that. It's a concerning issue. And so I don't blame the NFL Players Association for their 
rejection of the alliance's negotiations. The AAF tried to work with them, and the NFLPA said, nah, we're good, we're not going to work with you. And that's why the AAF dissolved us, because of that issue. But we, as football fans, we lost. You know, because there is no developmental football league, quarterback development is going to suffer. We had an opportunity to have really good backup quarterbacks get prepared and get game reps and get better quickly. We don't have that now. Like in baseball, young guys get put down in the minor leagues, AAA baseball, where they play real actual game reps and get better. And in the NBA, you know, rotations allow young guys to get a small amount of minutes and, you know, improve their skills. Not to mention the NBA also has the G League, which is where you can literally send players down to play full games. The NFL is nothing like that. The NFL doesn't have a developmental league. And so that is why it's sad. That is the number one thing we as football fans lost. By losing the Alliance of American Football, that is what we lost, is the chance of having a really cool developmental football league where backup quarterbacks and backup players in general could get better. That's the loss. That's the true loss of the Alliance of American Football. Okay, two stories left I want to talk about. Uh, man, thank you so much. This is just so cool. I, I love doing this. Um, it's my favorite thing in the world. I love doing this podcast. And I'm getting way more comfortable. Like, I, I just, um, it, it's just fun, man. I, I remember you know, recording this room at first was so daunting and bizarre. And I couldn't handle people in the hallway talking. I just couldn't do it. And uh, we've come a long way, and it's, it's going really good. Um, you may or may not know, I go to college at Pacific Lutheran University. It's a small school in the Seattle area. I love my college so much. It's a great fit for me academically and as a football player. It's, it's really, really a great fit all around. Love my team. Love my school. But before I came here, before I went to this college, I went to a different college. I'm not going to say its name. Um, but if you want to look at my old Instagram photos, you can. You can probably determine where I went to school. Um, now, my old college had a really out-of-date communication program. It, it was a mess. It was awful. Um, they were outdated and, I would say, out of touch. They didn't understand how the world worked. Um, they, they, for a great example is they made you use software from the 80s, literally, where you know, if you were a student and you graduated and got a job at a, a production company, you would literally have to learn how to use the most current software because they weren't letting you use that in college. They also did not believe in YouTube. They thought, you know, YouTube is stupid. My, my professors literally said, your dumb blog is stupid. It won't work. And, and personally, for me, that was devastating to go, um, I, I think there's a viable career option here. I think you're, you're wrong and crazy. Um, I'm glad I didn't listen to them. But they wanted me to do things their way. I didn't agree. I left. And again, my new college, Pacific Lutheran, the new school I'm at was not that school. This new school is fantastic. It's a good fit for me. PLU is great. I tell you that story, though, so you can understand perspective of what it's like when someone is not caught up with the times. They're not, they're out of date, they're out of touch. And, you know, the world changed, and they did not change with the world. So, uh, recently in baseball, well, I, I love this, I love making analogies, I love making comparisons. Recently in baseball, um, bat flips have become an, uh, an unacceptable thing. You'll hit a home run, and you'll throw your bat and for some reason, that's now not allowed. It's a, it's a big taboo no-no. And what happens is you, know, you, you hit a home run, you celebrate, you flip your bat, and the next time you get up to bat, a pitcher will hit you in the back or hit you in the leg or hit you in the arm and throw at you. 
And um, personally, I find all of this drama very, very entertaining. I love all of this, right? I, I love drama in sports is why I watch. I think it's very important. It's what I love. But what I don't understand and where this analogy comes into play, the archaic people who haven't caught up with the times that don't understand, you know, they side with the pitcher or they side with the batter and say, this guy's right or this guy's wrong. And people that don't seem to understand that hosting this entire controversy is really, really good. People that say, oh, bat flips are terrible. Or they say, you know, I don't think they understand that. No, a bat flip, you know, hitting a home run is a great video. It's really fun to watch. And it's really interesting on Instagram. People say, well, it's disrespectful. Yeah, but it's also really, really entertaining. I don't know. Some people say bat flips are really bad. You know, shouldn't do bat flips. Other people say that pitchers shouldn't hit the guys. They, they side with the pitcher. They, you know, they side with the batter. Say, you know, if a guy does a bat flip, he shouldn't hit him. He should just strike him out the next time. And I just think the point is this. You, you shouldn't pick a side here. There's not a right or wrong. All of this needs to continue. This entire thing, baseball needs to facilitate and market this kind of controversy. A guy gets hit with a pitch and starts a brawl. Good. Interesting entertaining a guy hits a home run and flips his bat don't avoid it don't not talk about it that's awesome it's not a disgrace it's not bad it's a good thing the way people talk about bat flips now it's like it's a crime some guy committed a crime he didn't kill anybody he's celebrating it's fun to watch in the nfl the nfl is caught up with the times they're current they get it they allow more celebrations they film it they put it on instagram they put it on social media it's really good for the brand of the nfl the world is a different place. The world has changed. There's some baseball fans right now are like my old college. They're out of touch. They're out of date. They don't understand how the world works. And they don't seem to understand the entertainment and that controversy is actually a really good thing for baseball. People yelling at each other. People fighting. People with beef. There's literally a whole entire YouTube series called Player B or Player, Player Beef or some Player History, History Beef maybe. That, beef History, that's what it's called. It's about players who don't like each other and don't get along and have arguments. That is good. That is controversy. It's good for sports, and it's good for narratives, and it's good for everything. And the people who don't understand that, those people, you know, the people who don't get the controversy, drama, intrigue, it's all important. It might seem really, really cheesy, but that is what draws people to sports. You know, Damian Lillard hit the game-winning shot against Oklahoma City Thunder. He waved, and that video went viral. It was awesome. That's great. Or Baker Mayfield staring down his former head coach, Hugh Jackson, on the sideline. It's good for sports. And baseball needs to do a better job of embracing these moments and not discouraging them, not saying, oh, you know, I literally old men go, disgraceful. It's so wrong and bad. No, 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 no. Really, really good. Controversy. Personality. Having an opinion. Having this, having that. It's good for sports. And baseball needs to wake up and stop being an archaic old relic and catch up to times and embrace controversy. I'm seeing people who still are commenting things like, that's bad for the sport. No, it's not. If you want the sport to grow, if you want people to watch it on social media and pay attention to it, you want bat flips. You want players getting hit. You want people yelling at each other. You want controversy. It's like a reality show. It matters. It's really good. It's what the NFL does really well. It's what basketball does really well. They embrace drama. Baseball has not embraced drama. And again, they look like my old college who isn't caught up with the times and is out of touch and out of date. Baseball needs to embrace controversy. It's good for the sport, and it's a change that needs to happen very, very soon. Okay. Um, 
there's been a recently um recently there's been a debate about whether or not baseball should have an automated strike zone. Um and what that means is that basically people have argued that, you know, with a a, a strike zone, there's you know I, I think people, this, I, sorry, let me let me rephrase this. I think this entire debate started because a guy like Bryce Harper argued a strikeout call. And and then, you know, people said we need to reheat this debate. Should we have an automated strike zone? And the question is to me, should we get rid of umpires going, ball, strike? Do, do, we need, do we need a guy behind the batters calling balls and strikes or not? I think yes. I understand. You know, people think we need to replace them with computer technology to ensure accuracy. I get it. It makes sense. Um, but I would not get rid of umpires calling balls and strikes. I wouldn't. Uh, unless somehow it made games way faster and it would not make games faster because the reason why baseball games are slow is because you have 27 pitch at bats where guys can foul off balls forever and the at bat keeps going. Or you have pitchers who take, you know, like you need a shot clock for pitchers where you can't take two minutes tying your shoes and throwing to first base, throw the dang pitch, speed it up. Um, but umpires calling balls and strikes are, do not make the game slower or faster. It's like one second to go, that's a ball or Hey, strike. That, that's, that's not a long time. It's not a, it doesn't take a long, that's a terrible strike call, by the way. Don't ever play that ever again. Don't ever watch that. Don't ever listen to that. Um, but here's what I would do. There's this controversy. Should we have an automated strike zone or not? Should we get rid of umpires and make it all digital? I, I wouldn't make it digital. I think, I think it's actually really good for the sport to have that controversy and that argument where a guy strikes out and doesn't agree with the call and you go, they argue and yell at each other. That's a good thing for the sport of baseball. But here's what I would do. I would develop sensors and I would have a regulated system. And right now, so by the, you got to understand this. Currently, right now, in all-star games and in postseason baseball games, a baseball team has two manager challenges, which is where you think the call is wrong, and you can go to the video room to to like replay and make sure that the call was made right on the field. So I think that in regular season, you only get one manager challenge. I think what you got to do is give. Make balls and strikes something you can challenge. It's like an NFL you know, red flag challenge where you can say, I want that reviewed. I want to make sure they got it right. So make a sensor, make a regulated system where you know what a ball and a strike is. And that way, if you disagree with the call, you can throw a challenge flag and you can have it reviewed. But only give people two a game. So instead of having the postseason and all-star games have two, regular season has one, every single baseball game needs to have two managerial challenges and make balls and strikes something you can review. Make balls and strikes something you can go, I disagree with that strikeout call. I, he was caught looking. I think it was a ball. Let's review it on tape and see what happened. And, oh, well, lo and behold, the pitch tracker says that ball is six inches outside. That is not a strike. It's a ball. Go to first base. You get the walk. Whatever, whatever it is. Maybe it's just the bat, at-bat continues if it's, you know, it's only the second ball. But I like that. I think that ensures that the end of games are more you know, precise but I don't think you need to get rid of you know umpires in general. I like human interaction. I think it matters. I think it's good. I think controversy is good for the sport. Um, I think you can make balls and strikes something that you can challenge. And that way, the end of games are as accurate as possible. But don't get rid of that whole thing in general. Um, you know, Again, human interaction makes baseball more compelling and more interesting. Um, and I just think that when you know a ball is called – a ball outside is called a strike and somebody disagrees and an umpire and a player are yelling at each other and that's controversy – it's good for baseball. Um, and plus, again, you know, if it's a big deal, what you can do is say, oh, if you really disagree with the call or if it's, you know, the last, at, the last out of the ninth inning, oh, you can challenge it to make sure we got it right. 
but it doesn't need to all be automated. I don't think it'd be really any faster to automate it. I just don't. Uh, Cause it's not like it takes a long time to go. That's a bull. It just, uh, that's not a long process. Um, so I would not get rid of umps. I would not automate it. I would just make sure that's something you have a regulated system in place where you can challenge it if you need to guys. Um, thank you so much. My name is Zach Schaumler. This has been strong opinion sports. Uh, my throat hurts. It's been solid two hours and one minute that I've been recording with you. This show will probably be about two hours, an hour and 30 minutes. Cause I take time, you know, break to record and go to the bathroom, whatever. Uh, I just want to say thank you so very much for watching and listening. I really appreciate it. Um, Help me grow on SoundCloud. You know, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, you know, look, if you're listening to two hours of this podcast, you know what it's about. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Uh, my name is Doc Schaumler. I'm going to watch Game of Thrones right now. Bum, bum, bam. We are done. I just want to say thank you so very much for watching. I really, really appreciate it. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports, and it is my favorite thing in the entire world. I love it. Uh, in fact, my dream is to someday do Strong Opinion Sports as my full-time job. If you believe in me, if you believe in that dream, please help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. Maybe you put a screenshot of it, maybe you put it on Instagram. Uh, it does me a huge help if you can tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Another way you can help me if you want, no pressure, I have a PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. I also have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It does me a huge help if you want to. Um, and, uh, really, if you have no money to give, no problem, please. The, the number one thing, if you want to help strong opinion sports, the number one thing you can do is help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.